Nation, Rob McGregor, welcome you to a place where all kinds of phenomena flourish. Voices whisper, ancient secrets, signs and symbols are abundant. UFOs, ETs, ghosts, and even the dead move about freely. Here we meet authors, researchers, and investigators of the mysterious, the strange, and of the inexplicable anomalies that surround us. Step out of the everyday world and take a journey into the mystical underground. Welcome to the Mystical Underground. Thank you for joining us. This is Rob McGregor. And Trish McGregor. And our tech magician, producer, John Posey. You can go to themysticalunderground.com where we make regular posts and where you can find out about our books. Our most recent nonfiction book is Phenomena, Harnessing Your Psychic Abilities. Trish's latest novel is Skin Shifters. Rob's latest novel is Tool Puzz, now available in audio as well as print and ebook. Our guest today is Chris Mackey. He's a clinical and counseling psychologist and fellow of the Australian Psychological Society with 40 years of psychotherapy experience. He's the principal psychologist at Chris Mackey and Associates, his private practice in Geelong. Chris has presented at numerous national and international scientific conferences over the last 25 years on topics such as making use of synchronicity in psychotherapy and the effectiveness of psychological therapy for anxiety, depression, and trauma reactions. He's the author of a terrific book, The Positive Psychology of Synchronicity, Enhance Your Mental Health with the Power of Coincidence. It was released internationally in 2019. He's the resident psychologist and a regular presenter on the national TV well-being show, Destination Happiness, and writes regular columns for the Geelong Advertiser. He lives in Geelong, Australia. I just lost my spot. Okay, Chris <laughs> received the Impact Achievement Award at the 2019 Australian Allied Health Awards. Welcome, Chris. It's such a great pleasure to have you. Welcome, Chris. Wonderful to be with you, Trish and Rob. In your book, you talk about positive psychology. Can you explain what that means and how synchronicity is an integral part of it? Okay, well, positive psychology is a science of well-being pioneered by Martin Seligman from Philadelphia. And so it's partly about optimism. It's about developing happiness. But the way it defines happiness is not just like an up emotion. It actually uses an acronym to look at five elements of happiness. And I think these relate to synchronicity. So the acronym is, the acronym is PERMA, P-E-R-M-A. P is positive affect. And often when people experience synchronicity, amazing coincidences, it leads to a sense of curiosity or awe or wonder, or often it might be fortuitous. And the um, E, it can help people's sense of engagement, like it can be affirming to people if they experience a lot of synchronicity that they may be in the right place at the right time at times, or it can help people get a sense of affirmation for the path that they're on. R is for relationships. And there's an aspect of synchronicity where you feel connected with someone else. It might be like propinquity, where you think of someone, you haven't seen them for ages and you run into them soon afterwards. It adds to your feeling of connection that can enhance your relationships. And then there's M for meaning. Well, synchronicity is a meaningful coincidence. So it's one way of accessing a sense of meaning. And then there's A for 
accomplishment. And again, I think that the more we feel affirmed in what we're doing, engaged in what we're doing, and synchronistic can enhance that, it can, and certainly from personal experience, I think it, it helps that engagement and accomplishment. So, so P E R M A, I think synchronicity ticks a lot of those boxes. Hmm. I agree with you. If I were ever going to go into psychotherapy, it would be with you, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. How long has positive uh, psychology been around? Probably about 20 years now, mainly for about, say, 15 years. And there was a book that oh. came out, Authentic Happiness, came out around about 2004. And that really uh, got the field going. And uh, but, but certainly in recent years, from, say, 2007 onwards, there have been world congresses every couple of years in positive psychology. <laughs> and you get many uh, people in the field of education, coaches, uh, psychotherapists, who, who go along to those conferences. You told us a story uh, on the, uh, first of all, Chris and I met through Bernard Bateman's Coincidence Project, and he told a story, you told a story, Chris, about how it used to be that synchronicity got maybe a few minutes at these conferences, and now it's it's expanding, isn't that correct? Yes, it's uh, it's really encouraging to see, and um, and so I found the same at cognitive behavioural therapy conferences. Early on, if I put in a submission for these conferences, say up to about uh, 2015, you tend to get knocked back, or you might just get say a few minutes. Mm -hmm. Now, in the last couple of years, at both positive psychology as well as um, uh, cognitive behavioural therapy conferences, it might be a workshop accepted for an hour or two. And mm. I think this is the biggest shift happening in mainstream psychology at the moment. The, if you like, the, the emergence of including spirituality on the uh -huh. agenda. It's really been seen as being not rational enough, a theme or topic despite the fact of how important it is to so many people and that shifting. Hmm. Even, it seems that even psychology today is opening up. Uh, Bernard yeah, Bernard's has column. a column there, at least in, online at the Psychology Today website, because earlier you would never see, the only articles related to anything paranormal would be in a negative sense, uh, debunking actually. Yes, uh, Bernie's a bit of a tour de force that way, isn't he? <laughs> like he's he's got the academic uh, credentials right. behind yeah. him. He has the life experience, and he is an open-minded person who hears from many others. And the way he's been able to draw people together, mm -hmm. as you say, Trish, it's been delightful being involved with a group that um, Bernie's described, the Coincidence Ambassadors from uh -huh. around the world, and many people have strong scientific credentials like Sky Nelson Isaacs. He's a quantum physicist. Mm. Many oh, other people have that. solid, yeah, many people have very solid credentials in that group and it's oh. great to see. Oh. Yeah, that is great. Well, you mentioned, uh, you know, in Bernie's current, did you, did you read his current uh, post in um, Psychology Today? Because you're mentioned. Yes, actually, it's about uh, the impact of many people on synchronicity. And I contributed a few brief stories about how there'd been uh, a number of clients I'd seen that had helped save their lives. Uh -huh. and, uh, Including and yours. That's right. I mentioned uh, an anecdote of when I was severely depressed 30 years ago. I was hospitalised 
and uh, I was off work for six months at that stage. And at one stage, I was just at the end of my tether. I'd been completely depressed, felt I had nothing left after about four months. I was sitting in a hospital corridor and I thought, look, if nothing happens in the next five minutes, (laughs) I don't know how I'm going to, what I'm going to do specifically, but I will basically make a plan to take my life. Within five minutes, a close friend rang up who I didn't have frequent contact with from phone calls at that time, approximately once every six or eight weeks, maybe something like that. But um, uh, within a few minutes, a nurse came along and said, oh, there's a call for you. And it was this very positive friend who I always associated with positivity. And um, and I thought, well, look, that, that was a hard coincidence to dismiss. And it just mm-hmm. led me to think, look, you know, look, I'm not meant to go down that very bleak path, um, something else might come of this. Well, I'm glad you didn't go down that path. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think it's yourself. great, though, that you, you gave the universe, I need five minutes. Give me five minutes to, you know, make up my mind. So, uh, like five minutes into this uh, interview here, I've already had a synchronicity. It's <laughs> unusual. Uh, you, you two mentioned that in your group, uh a member is named uh, Sky Nelson Isaacs. Well, totally separate. Somebody had mentioned him to me through an email, so I looked him up and sent him an inquiry about uh, coming on to our podca- uh, podcast. Today? No, yesterday. Oh, oh wow. Okay, well, that's great. <laughs> that, yeah. That's a great example, Rob. Right. <laughs> yeah, and his book is just out. Yeah, he's got a uh-huh. book. He's got two books on. Cool. Um, very, very interesting fellow. So that, that's wonderful. Uh, Chris, what what do you think the link is between synchronicity and quantum physics? Well, I think that one of the most direct links, as I would see it, is the notion of entanglement. Mm -hmm. And entanglement is just a wondrous uh, principle in quantum physics, which has since been or basically proven. And the idea of entanglement, if you get to, uh, say, uh, aspects of the material world, like, say, electrons, and Mm -hmm. bring them in close contact with each other. So they're interacting with each other. And then you separate them at a great distance. It could technically be from one end of the universe to the other. Mm -hmm. Now, if something then affects the spin of one, if the spin of one electron is observed, then immediately and instantaneously, there's a complementary spin on the other. In other words, there are these observations that show that these bits of matter uh, instantaneously connected at a distance. Now, Einstein, who uh, posited the idea of entanglement, he said, uh, this is an idea, but he said it can't be true. He said, you can't get spooky action at a distance. The closest <laughs> connection between things is the speed of light. So you can't have any truth in entanglement. Well, from the 60s and 70s, apparently, I don't know the mechanics of how they proved this, but they demonstrate that they demonstrated entanglement is true. Well, if aspects of matter can be instantaneously connected at a distance, then why not people's minds, like mm. the notion of 
propinquity, you think of someone, then they immediately respond or say a twin has a pain in their knee and they hear that the, a, a twin's been injured just at that moment across the other side of the world in their knee. You hear of these kind of stories and people often dismiss them because they think that can't be true. There's mm -hmm. no mechanism. Well, the physical mechanism of entanglement is just as um, amazing and, and, and just complementary. It just it just fits. It's a similar phenomena, but in the material world as opposed to the psychic world. Hmm. That's like uh, Bernie's story about him, how he started choking. This was in yes. his book at the moment his father was, was choking to death on his own, own blood. Yes. I mean, that's a, a remarkable... Remarkable comes that, that Bernie refers to as simulpathy, yes. having this sense of, 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 of empathy relating to the um, uh, plight of someone at, at, at some distance. In this case, his own father at, at that sort of such a, 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 a momentous time just added to Bernie's sense of connection mm -hmm. with his father, albeit under those extraordinarily um, difficult circumstances. But it's hard to dismiss that kind of experience if people have it. And I think that's the important of people, importance of people talking about these stories. It doesn't seem right for people to have such profound experiences and just have them invalidated or dismissed because people can't right. easily explain it rationally. Right. Yeah, I think that's part of the problem, at least from my point of view, of with psychology. You know, you if you have somebody who experiences something like that and they think they're going nuts and they go to a shrink. Chances are they're going to get meds. Yes, and um, that, that's a whole theme that relates to a topic that could be called spiritual emergency. So there's the notion of spiritual emergence, and for some people, when they start tapping more into a spiritual dimension in life, it might be through experiencing lots of really weird or amazing coincidences that many people can feel unsettled by that because they just don't have a way of accounting for it. If people don't mm -hmm. have an understanding or a framework, that can be very scary. Now, mm -hmm. unfortunately, if people then see someone in the conventional um, uh, health and especially the medical field, then that tends to be so rationalistic in its approach mm -hmm. that then there's a, a great risk of people being seen as being psychotic just like if people believe that the radio has got um, items on it, content that is talking to them at that time. Well, I've had that experience. A number of people have that experience and we call it synchronicity. It might be meaningful. It might be helpful. But in psychiatry, it could be called delusions of reference. <laughs> Person believe the TV, yeah. believes the TV is referring to me. That could be used as evidence to give people antipsychotic medication again, if the person's unsettled enough by their other experiences. So I think this is in um, the mental health field, one of the extra reasons why we should talk about this this more. The positive reason is it taps into a spiritual dimension in life in a positive way. The um, To avoid the negative reason, it's to uh, make it less likely that people be misdiagnosed and mm. end up in hospital, which isn't going to help them. What about people who hear voices? There's two sides to that story, too. Uh, uh, people who hear voices that are attacking them, telling them to kill themselves. Uh, you know, they hate these voices. But there's other people who are guided by these voices that uh, see them as positive. And how, how does that balance work? How does 
Yes, well, I think of a few different examples there with, with voices. One is the um, uh, often serious condition of schizophrenia, where people can be hearing uh, voices and having various delusions, and people can feel very um, bleak in those situations. But also, in psychotherapy, I specialise in trauma, and complex trauma in particular. And one fairly common um, condition when people experience repeated trauma in childhood, for example, is what we call dissociative disorders. Mm -hmm. A more extreme form of that is dissociative identity disorder, used to be called multiple personality disorder. Now, mm -hmm. in that situation, then uh, part of the feature of that condition and dissociative conditions is people hear voices. And these might be voices mm -hmm. in conversation within themselves, or someone might be an adult woman, but she feels that part of herself is a teenage boy. Uh, that she oh. hears voices from, and maybe a hundred other personalities. Yeah. Now, funnily enough, 30 years ago, when I was starting to specialise in dissociative disorders, many of those people were misdiagnosed as being psychotic, were given medication, and it didn't help them so much. Uh, so, some medication could be certainly um, uh, helpful for, for those people at times with their distress, but if they're misdiagnosed as having schizophrenia, then that would be a real problem because that treatment wouldn't help compared to treatments for trauma. But in hmm. terms of um, people hearing voices in a spiritual sense, one example of that is um, called hierophany. Hierophany is a sense of connection with people who have uh, been deceased. So mm, people yeah. have passed. But, and many people find that uplifting to feel that they've heard a, um, a voice from a kindly grandparent or, or maybe a parent, sometimes people have a feeling, hey, this is a connection with me and the spirit of my relative who is, is I thought of that person as no, no longer here, but maybe they are still here, but in a different form. And that yeah. can be comforting for people to get a sense of connection with those who are very important and meaningful to them, but might not be alive anymore. Hmm. I have experiences like that that happen have, have happened to me after the death of somebody I know, and but they happen spontaneously, uh, and I hear this voice or I see them in, in a vision, but it's not something I can generate. But then there are mediums who do this professionally, who supposedly are able to make this connection, and not even with people that they know that yeah. are deceased. Uh, how do you explain that? Well, it is remarkable. <laughs> Sorry. To, to, to me, if, if, if quantum physics is true, and so it means that the notions of space and time are an illusion, mm -hmm. and like entanglement shows that matter uh, could be connected at a distance, and also Schrodinger says that everything is consciousness. Now, you start to put all these things together, like everything is consciousness, everything's connected all at once, uh, space and time are an illusion, well, if our consciousness could be connected with other people's consciousness at, at any kind of distance, why not across time in some way as well? So I think that there are ways that especially people with psychic abilities can tap into different kinds of consciousness. And just as one aside about that, when I first, I could use the term um, tongue-in-cheek, when I first came out, at these positive psychology or psychology conferences, I'd walk up to someone at an um, evening function and we'd chat about what we're doing. Then I'd say, oh, but by the way, I'm, 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 I'm writing a book on synchronicity. And I'd bring this up in the first few minutes to see what happened, how the other person would respond. Mm -hmm. The first two people 
I mentioned that too at a positive psychology conference, immediately responded to me, oh, I'm a, um, I'm a spirit medium. I commune with um, deceased oh. people. That's wow. interesting. Hey, this is a little bit more uh, prevalent <laughs> than I ever no. would have guessed. People don't tell you unless they think that you're open to hearing it. Right. Right. I found in the last 10 years that people have become far more receptive to synchronicity and they actually understand what it means. Yes, that's interesting. Trisha, I wondered if people in North America might be more um, open to that than um, in Australia. But I'm, I'm finding that in Australia now, a lot of people seem to know what synchronicity means too over more recent years. Hmm. So interest in uh, participation in religion is seems to be going down, especially in the Western world. But uh, interest in pursuit of spirituality at the same time is growing. How do you account for this shift? Well, I think if we look at the first thing, the um, reduced interest uh, and attendance at church in religion, unfortunately, there have been the aspects like um, uh, abuse, sexual abuse that's happened in the church, which has had a, an extraordinarily harmful effect. Like recently in um, Australia or some years ago, there was a royal commission, and that brought up uh, an enormous amount of evidence about institutional um, sexual abuse, including in the church. And, and that certainly has um, led to a lot of harm. I think also people are less likely in the 21st century to look at authorities uh, outside themselves, especially if there's any rigid or archaic right. element to that. But by the same token, to the extent that people have turned away from religion and there's been maybe less um, avenue for expression for that, um, spiritual dimension in life, so body, mind, and soul. Psychology is great at looking at body and mind, not too good at looking at soul. Doesn't mean it's not relevant to people. So I think that the relevance is coming up in other ways. So about 25% to 30% of people in Western cultures, myself included, would identify with being spiritual but not religious. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so Same I here. think that I think that that's where synchronicity is one way of tapping into a spiritual dimension in, in life, which is a, a secular way of mm. tapping into spirituality, as is a sense of awe and wonder at nature or people finding a calling in their work or feeling that their relationship has a sacred bond, sacred mm -hmm. quality to it. People can see, can sense a, a sense of sacredness in or sacrality in other areas of life. And a, a, a psychologist, um, Ken Pargament, writes about the sacred in life. And I think many people relate to the things that he talks about, including having a calling in your work. And, uh, and that's no less meaningful to people if there's a bit of a decline in interest in religion. I think in some ways, even more important to recognise those areas because people still have a yearning for that deeper connection with life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so too. So in spite of the this growing interest in spirituality and the paranormal and exploring some of these elements, telepathy, precognition, clairvoyance, and psychokinesis, uh, mainstream psychology doesn't seem to be, uh, you know, you've mentioned some things where they've uh, made some oh, shifts, <laughs> but uh, for the most part, ex uh, they don't see much in interest in exploring spirituality and aspects of it. Look, I think that's true, and I think that the way that um, scientific method is taught in psychology courses is somewhat restricted. It's quite rationalistic. 
And mm. I think it's very good to have rigour. It's very important to have rigour underpinning, for example, a science of psychology. But it seems to me that the science is a very Newtonian science. There's not much that you hear of in psychology training that relates at all to quantum physics. So I think that mm -hmm. here's this physics that's been around for over 100 years so say from about 1913 or so, and yeah. you don't hear much of that infuse psychology. Uh, look, actually, as an aside, I think that's part of the reason why there's so many more books on synchronicity the last five to ten years. Yeah, I think, I think so once we hit the 100-year mark, the centenary of quantum physics, then people are starting to be more interested in, hey, could there, could there actually be some truth in this rather than, you know, when quantum physics was taught in physics courses, as I understand, the students were told, look, believe in these principles as a guide to, for example, making mobile phones and understanding technology, but the hmm. principles can't be true because they're too weird. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe the principles are true because they overlap with Eastern wisdom from thousands of years ago, mm -hmm. for example, that um, time is an illusion, time and space is an illusion, everything is based on consciousness, excuse me. <clears throat> and so it seems to me it's relevant that the, that the pioneers of quantum physics, including Wolfgang Pauli, Schrodinger and others, they looked to Eastern spiritual traditions because they thought that was the closest thing that overlapped with what they were finding in science. Right. And mm -hmm. it was actually Wolfgang Pauli, one of the founders of quantum physics. He was physics. fascinating. Yes, he encouraged, he's the one who encouraged Jung to finally right. write about synchronicity, saying, hey, Carl, Carl Jung, I know that you're fascinated in this subject. You've got lots of knowledge about it. I know you've been hesitant to write about it. Hey, if you write about it, I'll write something in a monograph with you that'll um, uh, help other people see that um, it's taken seriously. And that was the um, prompt for Jung to first write about synchronicity. So I think that that's where psychology needs to be less, what I call rationalistic. You can be yeah. rational without being rationalistic. If we're gonna be rational, surely we will look at the most advanced physics of the day. And if that physics is more than a hundred years old, surely we'll find some ways of incorporating some of the principles, surely some of the principles overlap with what could be mainstream psychology. What, what did you think of uh, Jung's The Red Book? Now, I've only looked at um, aspects of the um, Red Book. I have a copy of it on my shelf. Um, one of the things I think was fascinating is just, ju just the extent to which Jung in, engaged in drawings and art. Uh -huh. I believe he's drawing mandalas for about 13 years before he understood what a mandala was yeah, in anyone right. else's sense. And he came across the I Ching and thought, oh, my gosh, this is what I've been doing all these years, drawing these mandalas. There must be some you know, connection with something over and above just within my own mind. But, uh, yeah, look, Trish, you will have made observations about the Red Book beyond what I would have made. What What do you find with it? Well, right now mine is in a box and I can't find it. <laughs> but <laughs> when, I, when I have looked through it, I've just been, I've been astonished at how deep he went within himself. You know, I mean, even Jung called the Red Book a confrontation with his unconscious. And I think that's what it was, you know. Because yes, basically, I think Jung was a mystic. Yes, it, it also shows it takes a degree of um, courage, doesn't it? Right. It takes a degree of courage to do that. And um, and I think that, that preparedness to go within, even if you can't explain it in current mm -hmm. known 
ways. In some sense, that makes it um, uh, mystical, and I quite like the term mystical, but I suspect that the more time goes on, the more <laughs> things that are mystical, like psychic experience, are going to be seen as um, uh, very Normal. consistent with science as well. Uh -huh. so, so, so related to that, Jung believed that synchronicity was an umbrella phenomenon and that uh, telepathy, clairvoyance, precognition, psychokinesis could all be considered examples of synchronicity. But uh, Dean Radden, who's a well-known parapsychologist, probably maybe <clears throat> the most well-known one since he has yes. so many books out on it, uh, thinks that mysticism is the umbrella and psychic phenomena and synchronicity are elements of it. Uh, do you favor either interpretation? Look, I think to some extent it probably gets back to semantics because yeah. like, I, I agree with, with Jung, with synchronicity. I think that can take into account telepathy and psychokinesis mm -hmm. and other things because but basically I think of synchronicity, like even if we look at the notion of synchronisation, that aspect of it, to me it's meaningful coincidence that connects our inner and outer worlds. Mm -hmm. So basically this notion that our inner and outer worlds are connected if we take again Schrodinger's idea that all of matter comes back to consciousness and quantum physics has, has supported that view consistent with the views of Eastern spiritual traditions, well, if, if everything comes back to consciousness, if we have the notion of everything being connected with everything else, well, then in a sense, our inner worlds and our outer worlds are synchronised. Mm -hmm. These days, people also talk about multiverses in outer worlds, physicists are talking about that. Well, I think that we already know that there are multiverses in terms of our inner worlds. I think each uh -huh. of us people has a, our own particular take on this massive consciousness that we're all uh, part of the one. But in terms of Dean Radin's idea as well about mysticism being the umbrella, well, again, synchronicity is just one aspect of looking this at this sense of mm -hmm. a higher consciousness many people have spiritual experiences that that wouldn't just be defined in terms of synchronicity so that would be a more encompassing term in a way so i think it's partly uh, from from what lens or angle we're looking at it but in a sense i think all, all mysticism is going to involve an element of synchronization of our uh -huh. inner and outer worlds and that that broader sense of um, synchronicity then that incorporates um, all that's mystic that's how i would tend to mm -hmm. see it you know in your i'm sorry i just rob looking forward to ask you something mm -hmm. I, in your book um in your chapter on ghostly encounters you recount an experience that several of your clients had and related and related to you after discovering you were writing about synchronicity uh, these spirit contact stories really intrigue me. What Tell us about Gary's experience and then about Mary's. Okay, so Gary was a client who came to see me with severe depression. He'd already been seeing a psychiatrist for eight years and a psychologist for six years, oh. and yet he remained severely depressed. When I met him, as I mentioned, I'm in interested in trauma in particular, mm -hmm. it seemed to me the seeds of his depression went back 20 years when his infant daughter died soon after mm. childbirth. His wife was in hospital at the time. Now, this meant that Gary was responsible for the funeral arrangements of his infant daughter, and he felt forever ashamed and guilty 
about how things went because he felt that the minister who presided over this small ceremony didn't take it very seriously as though this infant child was not the the, the, the same status, if you like, right. as an adult who died. A little coffin was just thrown on the back seat of a usual car rather than travelling in like a hearse. Other things about the funeral arrangements he felt were not dignified. And he felt as though the spirit of his daughter would be so uh, um, uh, put out, if you like, or ashamed or just uh, degraded by mm -hmm. uh, how he'd overseen that, that he never visited his daughter's website, uh, gravesite, sorry, thinking if he went to a gravesite, he'd have a, a compulsion to take his life that he might not be able to resist. Wow. So anyway, understanding this, after a few sessions, then um, Gary and I were going to use a particular... Uh, and I won't go into the therapy technique, but it does re involve reliving painful traumatic experience from the past. Well, for that session, the first um, EMDR session, session four, Gary asked me at the end of the session, he said, do you believe in synchronicity? Wow. I said, funny you should mention that because at the moment <laughs> I'm writing a book on it. We both laughed at that. But I think that that was a cue to Gary that he knew he could tell me all sorts of things after that and I might be mm -hmm. open to it. Mm. So he came back the next week and he said to me that he had this strange experience after our first session that night in the middle of the night. He'd been, you know, wondering and worrying about the spirit of his daughter. And he felt this strange pat on his head. It wow. wasn't his mm. wife who was touching him, who was sleeping in bed mm. with him. <clears throat> no one else around, of course. So he just noted that. Next week, uh, so, so we have another session. The next week he comes in and he says, look, I'll tell you something amazing that happened. The, the previous week, as I woke up, I noticed that the power went off. It was at 3 o'clock in the morning. That was strange. I got up. I went and had a look around. There's no obvious um, cause of this. So I got back to... Bed, the, the power um, just went on again by itself. And then he said, ah, oh, and then I put two and two together. This is my daughter's spirit wow. reaching out to me. Huh. Um, I wake up at three o'clock. That was a way that she looked to get across a signal to me, like the pat on the head the week before, hmm. that she's okay. Like her spirit hmm. is okay me and by comforting me in this way she knows that i'm okay so i know she's okay i know she knows i'm okay he had a transformation from that point oh. on a, a thorough resolution of his trauma reaction the following week he came back and he said ah oh, um that that last session we had that night I woke up and I saw this face. I thought it was um, in, in bed. I thought it was my wife's face pointing towards me. But no, my wife was sleeping facing the other way. And then I realized it was my daughter's face. Wow. And now I could just talk to her. Oh. Now I, I feel her presence. I know that she's okay with me. He made a full resolution of that trauma reaction. He maintained those gains for a year and a half. Mm. Part of the stories he presented again a couple of years later with severe depression to do with early family experience in a different way that was playing out in current family conflict. He was severely depressed, but the significant thing is he had no recurrence of distress associated with the death his of daughter. his daughter. He oh. said, oh, no, no, we've got that sorted. That's not the issue. Hmm. Now, when people become depressed, they typically 
have distress that they've experienced in the past when they've been depressed. That just demonstrated how fully the issue is resolved. And fortunately, he well resolved the subsequent issue as well. Now, I wouldn't have been able to help him get results like that as profoundly as quickly. Things were transformed within six sessions and maintained at long-term follow-up. Mm. Uh, that, 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 that's that's almost um, well, well. That that can happen with trauma therapy, but when there's notions of traumatic grief, that was an uncommon kind huh. of result. And I've had a number of other clients similar. In in that's uh, in your sessions with Gary, did you use hypnotic regression at all to go back to this original experience with his daughter? No, no, I didn't, but um, uh, I am a hypnotherapist as well. I use hypnotherapy in a formal way relatively rarely because I find other methods work very well, for example, for trauma. But there is aspects of, um, there, there are aspects to a whole range of trauma therapies which involve the person going, uh, going back in vivid detail and reliving experience, not necessarily with a hypnotic induction, but mm. that means that there, there is some overlap with what happens in hypnotherapy because just simply, if you like, in any way, um, inviting, encouraging someone to go back and remember past experience uh, overlaps with principles of hypnosis. But no, there's no hypnotic induction huh. to it. Okay. Different method. Well, now, tell, tell us about Mary's experience. That was also a fascinating story. Yeah, now, one of the things with, with Mary's experience, which was interesting, is this was, again, when I was starting to say more to other mainstream mm-hmm. psychologists and health professionals about my interest in synchronicity. So I had been uh, supervising, formally supervising Mary for a number of years in her psychology postgraduate training. And um, and so um, uh, I saw Mary for the first time in 10 years at a workshop, and we asked what each other was doing. And one of the things I mentioned is I was writing a book on synchronicity. She said, oh, something to the effect of, well, don't you think that could be all explained by statistics? <laughs> because I felt bolder these days. I said, oh, look, um, no, I don't think so. I hear some stories that are just so profound that I, I just don't think you can account for that by chance in, in any way. And uh, and then um, Mary started to say something to me briefly about her mother, I didn't catch it. And there was only half a minute before we had to reconvene for the workshop. And so we didn't have time to discuss this further. But I, I asked Mary if um, if we could maybe have a bit of contact after um, that so I could find out more about a story. And she agreed. Now, so I'd, I'd thought that Mary represented scepticism amongst psychologists. But this mm-hmm. was the story that came about. She mentioned that a number of years previously... Her uh, mother, who had um, uh, uh, been quite well at the time, uh, although elderly, uh, not very old, had said to Mary, I I want to go on this trip and visit a number of relatives. And Mary joined her for a trip and visiting these relatives. And Mary wondered, oh, look, I'm not sure why mum wants to visit these relatives. It's almost like a kind of saying goodbye or catching up with people for a purpose. But any, anyway, didn't think much of it. And then afterwards, very shortly afterwards, sadly, her mother died and Mary plunged into a deep depression. She'd been close with her mother. She was wracked with grief. She became clearly clinically depressed for more than a year to the wow. point where her children were starting to say to her, Mum, are you ever going to be the same person again? Something to that effect. Mm-hmm. So Mary didn't know really much a way out of this, and she was a little bit freaked out in a way when she 
had the photos um, printed. It was in the days of printing photos um, from the trip with her mother. And in many of the shots, her mother came out as a negative in family oh. photos where everyone else looked normal. So oh. that was quite a remarkable experience in itself that I suspect that Mary hadn't told many other people before. But um, then what happened is one day when Mary's daughter was about um, oh, a year old or whatever, finicky eater as an infant, the only way she could get her daughter to um, eat was to take her outside to a park, look up at the seagulls, and while her daughter was looking up <laughs> open-mouthed at the seagulls, <laughs> she could drop a little bit of food into her mouth. Oh, funny. At one stage whilst doing this, Mary, still depressed at the time, grieving, uh, she heard what she thought was a voice. And then she went on and then she heard unmistakably the voice of her mother. So, again, like you mentioned, Rob, having some of that experience or what we would call hierophany, that connection, that voice. Mm -hmm. so, and then, then she felt, wait a minute, I just felt I'd completely lost my mother. She was gone. Now I realise she's still there but in a different form. She made mm -hmm. a complete resolution of her depression. She was able to go on, um, uh, shift her folks. I think she had been teaching. She was able to study psychology very productively, went on, become, uh, become a very effective psychologist. I believe that also she was um, certainly open to hearing stories from her, her clients. But um, if we hadn't had that just that little bit more interchange, if I hadn't answered as confidently, oh, I think that sometimes it's well beyond chance and you mm. can't account for it that way, and then that little comment she made about her mother, if it weren't for that, I would have left thinking, oh, look, there's another sceptical psychologist who's maybe telling me I should pull my head in and not talk about <laughs> this kind of stuff. It turned out it was just well affirming for the importance of telling these stories. Wow. That's that's interesting. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. I'd like to go back to quantum science again. Uh, I have a cousin who is a quantum physicist who has uh, probably 40 years of experience. He's worked a lot in Japan uh, as a physicist related to, to their nuclear power industry. And uh, I always had the impression that if somebody is a quantum physicist, they must really be into the paranormal because the relationship, but he's not at all. <laughs> uh, in fact, he says, you know, and I, I brought it up to him initially. Uh, we had a long time where we never uh, were in contact at all. And then we, uh, I don't know how we uh, reconnected, but one day he invited Trish and I to go to Mexico uh, and meet him and his wife uh, at uh, Cancun? Or? Yeah, I think. Of, anyway, that's where we talked about <laughs> right, that synchronicity. Right, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. That, anyhow, uh, he said, well, this, what you're talking about <clears throat> involves in subatomic particles. It doesn't, it's not reflected in the, uh, the full uh, physical state, uh, was, was him, his impression. But yet the man, he's very skeptical. But yet he was open to, he wanted to know what I was thinking. Uh, we met in Cancun and he basically told me that he didn't believe in the paranormal, synchronicity or uh, psychic phenomenon at all. He was uh, saying that this phenomenon may relate to subatomic particles, but not to the full physical world. Yet he was still 
interested in finding out what I was thinking about and why I believed this. And because he was in living at the time in uh, Japan, we knew somebody who was going to Japan repeatedly. Who was and, a remote viewer. A remote viewer, uh, Joe McMoneagle, and going to a show on, on Japanese television called Psychic Detective. And he was finding people who were missing for years, decades. Uh, and he was uh, he spoke no Japanese. He didn't <laughs> understand the, uh, the written language uh, or the... The geography of to uh, of uh, Tokyo, Japan. and but yet he was able to find he, he couldn't find everybody, but he found some of them. And so John, my cousin, said, "This is remarkable that he was able to find any of them." <laughs> <laughs> so that opened him up a bit. Uh, so it's it's interesting though that you know my my initial thought that. A quantum physicist must be into the paranormal is not necessarily the case. Yes, it's an interesting thing. I think that many scientists and the way that science is taught in psychology does tend to be somewhat reductionistic, some more mm -hmm. the Newtonian, almost causal ways of looking at psychology. At um, yeah, it's at um, science and psychology. But I think at the very least, quantum um, physicists are going to be open to things that are weird. I think that's one thing that there's that extra kind of um, openness because many uh, people I know with a scientific background or psych psychologists who emphasise a, um, a, a scientific background, as I say, rather than being rational, at times it may, to me seem to be rationalistic. Whereas mm -hmm. to me, the, the, the way that I think of synchronicity and sometimes some of the um, advantages it can give you, also people who have some psychic abilities, I call it the power of supra-rational thinking. It's mm -hmm. not irrational, supra-rational. It's beyond rational. You can't just explain it rationally, but that doesn't make it less than rational. Sometimes it has a utility that is more than rational, including some of the benefits that can come up in psychotherapy when you allow the stories to come in, the profound mm -hmm. benefits that they have uh, are sometimes over and above and more efficient than using certain standard methods, if you like. So allowing for the even the serendipity, the chance factors uh -huh. that can influence someone's uh, worldview. So, uh, uh, but at another level, I think that when we see things like um, entanglement, yes, that might play out uh, with energies at a micro and subatomic level, but it's difficult not to draw parallels at a macro level, and that's where it's interesting to me that someone like Sky Nelson Isaacs does mm -hmm. that. He has a good understanding of uh, quantum physics and the and the scientific basis of it. But I, again, I think it comes down to personal experience. Mm -hmm. yeah, Science so is meant to account for personal experience. So I like the idea of Occam's razor, which mm -hmm. is it's a scientific principle: make no more inference than necessary. To account for to account for a phenomenon phenomenon. Now, I think a lot of scientists are very good at making no more inference than necessary, but sometimes they're lousy at accounting for a phenomenon. They might give no account at all. They might just ignore uh -huh. the phenomenon or invalidate it or dismiss it, even though there's solid evidence that something happened a certain way that had a profound impact from people. As a psychologist, I think don't ignore that. 
if you've got any curiosity, surely you look at some kind of way of it, it might be accounted for. But I think a lot, a number of um, people of a scientific bent stop at that sense of curiosity right. and wonder and just think, oh, I can't make sense of that, so I'm going to turn my attention elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's not quite good enough if we want to have a deeper understanding of the world. Yeah. One, one more note on my cousin. I asked him, what do you think of David Bohm in quantum mechanics and enlightenment? And he, he paused and said, well, I'm into numbers. I'm into math. And he's into philosophy. You know? <laughs> That's not my thing. It, it was it's an honest answer, but again, it just shows that there's uh, different dimensions of awareness or interest uh, uh, beyond what someone might be in authority on. Yeah. You know, last night I... I think I was still I was still looking through your book, and all of a sudden I I heard what I knew was my daughter's voice saying, "Mom," and it, 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 I thought, "Okay, has something happened?" So I immediately texted her. And I said, "Are you okay?" And then she called, and she was depressed about something. And she goes, "How how did you know? How how did you know to text me?" I said, "Megan, I know that voice. <laughs> uh... I can't explain it, you know, but that." That's what happened. Well, I think it's wonderful how you both, uh, Trish and Rob, lucky you act on your beliefs, which is based by enormous personal experience and by you telling your stories, um, uh, so many stories so long, inviting other people to tell your stories. This is what helps because how can you just dismiss something like you just mentioned? You can't. That clearly would be wonderful for your connection, your relationship with your daughter, your relationship. There's the R in PERMA. And also you're right. showing the positive affect of compassion with your daughter that she could respond to. These things contribute to broader dimensions of happiness and well-being. Unfortunately, many people are going to ignore those little voices that actually are part of what I would call supra-rational mm-hmm. thinking. It's beyond what you can achieve in a rational sense. And, hey, how handy was that at that particular time for your daughter? Yeah, yeah, it was. But, you know, here's the weird thing, Chris. I heard that same voice two nights after she was born in the maternity room, maternity ward. I heard somebody say, Mom, Mom. And I thought somebody was awake in the ward, and it turned out nobody was awake except me. And I I lay back down, went back to sleep. I tried to go back to sleep, and I heard it again. I thought, okay, this is an internal thing. So I just lay there and listened, and it was Megan what I thought would be at maybe age 40, you know, old in the future. And she said she needed her birth information because all birth information had been destroyed in some type of climate, climate crisis or something. Now I'm wondering if it was maybe my granddaughter who doesn't exist yet. <laughs> I don't know, but it was, it was that same voice, you know, it, it, just, it does. <laughs> It leads you to wonder, though, doesn't it? But it also shows that we don't have to respond to that as as though it was your daughter's literal voice mm-hmm. or someone's mother's literal voice. It's a it's a it's a consciousness connection right. between us and that person in some form, which we might not um, uh, just reduce to some conventional um, definition. But but you knew what it meant at the time right. and that, that's meaningful and you acted on what you found meaningful in a helpful way well then i don't really think of an example of where i regret having acted on synchronicity 
because of having a, a real feeling of um, um, uh, affirmation or confidence mm-hmm. or a sense of, yes, this is what that means. I, I feel I'm meant to do this at the moment. I'll act now. I, I can't remember any time of being of regretting having done that. Yeah, me either. Uh, Chris, do you have any unique synchronicity, any any really powerful one that you always recall as being outstanding that stands out from all the others? I know you've had a lot of them, but uh, we, we each have one that people, when we're interviewed on a podcast, that yes. they always ask uh, us, <laughs> what's, your, what's the best one? You know, So okay. we're ready for that. Well, if I can combine a few that shows how I think meaningful coincidence can relate to your destiny, can guide you to your destiny. And I'll mention um, three examples, but I'll try and tie them together briefly. One is when I first came across synchronicity, I experienced it in a profound way, kept on coming up with repeated number sixes. And this overlapped with me dating my girlfriend who became my wife. We both experienced repeated sixes all the time. Like so often when we booked into a hotel, it was the sixth room of the sixth floor. It was just uncanny. So room 606, for example. Now, when we got engaged, I'd not planned it this way. I'd planned to get engaged the day before, but for different reasons, it turned out we became engaged at six o'clock on the 6th of June rather than earlier the, the day before, early in the day, the day before, as I'd planned. Now, six years later, I didn't plan this, as you would imagine. I was admitted to hospital for depression. Oh, I mentioned I was hospitalised earlier. It turned out I was admitted to hospital six years after I was engaged at six o'clock on the 6th of June. That's just incredible. Now, at the time, I was not, I didn't even notice that at the time. I was not well oriented to time. At the, I was very depressed and dis- distracted in my mind. But when afterwards, as I was gradually recovering, I recognised the significance of that date. I really felt that some good would come out of that experience and ultimately might not regret having that experience. And that's how it went. Actually, some of the most useful things I learned in psychology was from the experience of going through a severe depression for which I was Mm. hospitalised. So those things to me kind of bookended what I would call heaven and hell on earth. My Mm. most extreme experiences, if you like, good Uh and bad, happened around that time. Now, it turns out, I only learnt this while writing the positive psychology of synchronicity, I, I learned that Jung, Carl Jung, died in the afternoon of the 6th of June, yeah. which is uncanny. So because I felt some link with Jung's spirit uh-huh. in a sense. But the other one I'll mention, and sometimes synchronicity is like a free kick from the universe, something fortuitous mm-hmm. happens, you meet that person you might meet, as they say, when the pupil is ready, the teacher will come. Right. Now, I've become very interested in positive psychology, the book Authentic. Authentic Happiness had come out. We bought it by the box full, gave it to friends, <laughs> thought this is a really worthwhile new field. Anyway, um, the next year I was doing a talk summing up 25 years of my experience working as a psychologist in Geelong. I'd marked the quarter century as a psychologist by giving a free public talk and in one hour summing up the most useful things I'd learned in that time. In the one mm. hour I spent 10 minutes talking about Jung and synchronicity I spent 20 minutes talking about Martin Seligman and positive psychology. The next year, I learned that Martin Seligman 
one of the most prominent psychologists in the world and from Philadelphia, was coming to live in Geelong, my town of 200,000 people an hour from Melbourne, southeast Australia, who's coming with his team to do the first large-scale project on positive psychology. Hmm. He was going to pick a school setting and for various reasons he picked Geelong Grammar in the town where I live. Now, that was an example to me of a free kick from the universe, and I took that to mean for the rest of my career, I might as well align what I'm doing with positive psychology Hmm. because I thought there was a rare opportunity to meet Seligman in more social context. I could meet his entourage. I could see how it was working from the ground up from the early days. And so uh, believing in synchronicity and that Jungian psychology, marrying it with positive psychology, those experiences combined uh, just helped uh, guide my career from then on. So I use those examples because they're forever profound reminders to me. If if uh, They certainly energise my work. They put meaning into my work. I have a lot of enjoyment from feeling it's, it's meaningful. So that PERMA model, as well as the relationships I developed with Seligman and his team that to me showed how synchronicity can really enhance perma wow. those are powerful those are really ex- great examples those really are yeah. yeah you mentioned um in the chapter on paradigm shifts you mentioned marilyn ferguson's classic the aquarian conspiracy how that, that it had a great effect on you what what can you explain that i mean yes. i love the book so as a, oh, okay, so you've come, wonderful. And um, so we, with that book, it was a wonderful book by Marilyn Ferguson, the journalist, looking at developing science, relating it to Eastern spiritual traditions and looking at how to influence paradigms in, in different areas, paradigms of education, health, mm-hmm. politics. It was just such a groundbreaking book. Now, I read it as a sceptic because I'd been to a workshop which was called a wellness workshop by a fellow called John Travis from John Hopkins University. And he was talking about a spiritual dimension in life at this workshop. And I was mm. I was angered by that. I thought, hey, you're meant to be like a scientist. You know, you're a medical <laughs> practitioner. What are you talking about this spiritual stuff? And he was wearing like a caftan. That annoyed me no end. <laughs> he was showing picture a picture of a seagull. I thought, oh, what's he doing with Jonathan Livingston seagull? And Why doesn't he tell us something useful? I thought... Is a is a fellow in about um, 25 years of age. I thought, why aren't the adults in this room standing up telling this guy he should sort of you know get himself straight? Well, anyway, at the end of this workshop, he said to me, "Look, I know that you're somewhat sceptical, but you might be interested to know that a lot of physicists and scientists have been turning to religion more in recent times, and there's mm-hmm. a book called The Aquarian Conspiracy that explains that." Well, that caused a lot of cognitive dissonance in me because I thought that any science <laughs> worth the salt would just reject religion outright. But I was curious enough to read the book, and I found it fascinating from the early pages. But when I got to about 60 pages in and it mentioned synchronicity, from that day I experienced an explosion of synchronicity, as I say, initially around sixes. Huh. I told my housemates they started to tell me that they were experiencing synchronicity, like going to ring someone up and then they'd ring you up just as you're about to dial the phone to them, things like that. So that really told me that something was happening. 
And there were just hundreds of examples that I experienced around that time. You could say it blew my mind in a way. And um, so that's when you can also, there's that graffiti, isn't it? My karma ran over my dogma. That's great. That's a great saying. Yeah. And Marilyn Ferguson helped me just open up a complete other dimension oh. in life. In on. And, that book, and that book was published in 1980, I yeah, think. Yeah, I think That's it was. Amazing. Right. Um, yeah, 40, that was incredible. 40 years ago. Yeah. I think we're coming oh, to wow. the end Chris, of our Oh, wow, Chris, this has just been great. Yeah. Um, what, what's your next project? Look, I think my next project is partly um, uh, writing more blogs and things like that on synchronicity, but, but there's something that I'm really on about, which um, I think there needs to be a field of positive psychiatry. There's a field of positive psych- psychology, but it's psychiatrists and psychiatry, if you like, who run the show in the mental health mm-hmm. field. Um, understandably, they have a lot of authority with the medical background. They have the medico-legal responsibility and often leadership responsibilities. But I find that often psychiatrists have come from a more reductionist paradigm. So mm-hmm. much of research, more than 90% of research is paid for by drug companies. It's yeah. way overemphasizing drugs. That's the extra risk of people being prescribed medication right. to deal with spiritual emergence. So uh, if there's anything I'm on about, it's looking at some of the biological aspects that psychiatrists have an advantage in, even understanding things like neuroplasticity mm-hmm. and the wonders, the possibility, how we can change our biology with our mind and bodies interacting with each other. We can change our brain chemistry with our intentions and placebo effects. I'd like to see psychiatrists get more into that, less emphasis on medication. So right. I'll, like, I'll likely um, write something along the lines of it's time for positive psychiatry. Mm-hmm. And so I know that there is some talk in that field, but it doesn't go far enough in a mystical direction. Uh-huh. It, it goes further in an optimistic direction, like it incorporates, uh, there's a, 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 a Dr. Philip Jesty, I believe, who incorporates some of positive psychology in psychiatry and talks about positive psychiatry. The bit it leaves out is the mystical, the, the, right. that aspect of the psyche. And um, I think that that's such an important part, again, body, mind, and soul. Well, now tell people where they can find your website, your books. Wonderful. Thank you. So um, my website is synchronicityunwrapped.com.au. So www.synchronicityunwrapped.com.au is the website for the book. My main practice rep website, where we have lots of conventional information about mental health and lots of free articles and things like that and a podcast, is at chrismackey.com.au. That's M-A-C-K-E-Y, chrismackey.com.au. We also have a podcast um, there in the resources section of that website called Psych Spiels and Silver Linings. Psych Spiels meaning stories about psychology, Hmm. silver linings, optimistic stories. And so episodes, um, I think 24 and 25 of that are on synchronicity as well. um, And also Chris Mackey Psychology YouTube channel with some videos on synchronicity. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Chris. Chris. This has been great. Thanks so much. This is fascinating. And your book... Repeat the name of your book again. Everybody must get this book. (laughs) So The Positive Psychology of Synchronicity, Enhance Your Mental Health, 
with the power of coincidence, both in paperback and audio book. Fantastic. Great. Well, enjoy the rest of your day. I know it's going to be a long day. (laughs) Thank you so much. And thank you so much, Trish and and Rob. What you do, telling stories as you have for decades, having written so much, that's what it's about. The more people tell their stories, the more it will embolden and affirm others in owning that soul dimension of body, mind, and soul. So thank you both very much. Thank Thank you. You You have a good day. Take care. Thank you. Bye then. Thank you. Thanks for joining The Mystical Underground. Visit www.themysticalunderground.com for the latest blog post and book info. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Listen to the podcast at podcast.themysticalunderground.com. Follow Trish and Rob on Instagram at Trish and Rob McGregor. Follow us on Twitter at The Mystic Cast. Send email to podcast at themysticalunderground.com. And until next week, thank you for listening and stay mystical. Mystical.